is Katamari Damacy, one of the best games of all time. Yes. I noticed on the last recording I was buffing. No, it sounds good. Yeah. And it looks like we're going. Okay. uh, uh, Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Best Games of All Time podcast. Uh, I am Aaron. I'm back with my co-host, Brandon. Yo. And tonight we're talking about Katamari Damacy, uh, what's often described as an action puzzle game. Uh, released for PS2 in 2004. I just think that's totally wrong as a description of the game. I think there are no puzzle aspects. And I think it's sort of an adventure game uh, because it's in many ways about exploring. Uh, but it's it also just sort of defies genres. And uh, it is just a singular video game. It's like nothing else uh, that's ever been made. And many games have come out that have tried to capture a similar aesthetic, um, a similar, I think, sense of like physicality of playing uh, with regard to like how the controls uh, interface with the player. Nothing has, in my mind, come that close to doing what it's done. And uh, I think it is sort of a perfect video game. And it's, it's interesting to it's kind of hard to talk about a game. It's like, what do you say about a game that has perfect graphics, perfect controls, perfect music? Um, On this podcast, we've been critical of games, and I find myself sort of at a loss of almost what to say um, when confronted with this game that is just so singular, so together. Um, I think it's interesting because I've been trying to think about perfect games and what games are perfect and what games try to be perfect. And I think I tend to think that games that want to be perfect uh, also tend to be games that are very ambitious, right? They have huge scopes with lots of different systems and lots of sort of individual moving parts. But I think the more ambitious you are, it's harder to make sure that all of those parts work well individually and as well as you know making them like all fit together well neatly and here's a game that just did not care about doing any of that at all and it ended up being perfect without ever really trying and uh there's an interesting kind of anecdote from keita takahashi who's the director of the game where he said in an interview, his bosses told him that the game needed more features, and he just proactively ignored that advice. Uh, And it's much to the game's credit uh, that he did that. And so from the very start, it appears to have been a game that was focused on being simple, easy to pick up and play, um, nothing to distract the player from its single concept, and then just trying to eke every last ounce of of gameplay out of that concept so i just think it's perfect um i don't know how that sits with you yeah i mean i can't that that's all like you said that all so well like i you know i don't want this to be the like 
uh, Yes Man podcast, but I agree with all of those things. And I, you know, I'm hung up on that uh, tidbit you shared with um, uh, Takahashi's, you know, unwavering <laughs> steadfastness to say like, nope, this is the game and I'm not adding more features uh, because that's exactly, that's that's the kind of thing that you typically want to hear or that you mm-hmm. like that you want to buy into when you're making a game is to say like, oh yeah, great idea. Let's add this, let's add this. And that's exactly, you know, death by paper cuts. You watch this happen all the time to games where it loses all of its uh, personality and, and, you know, it gets lost in itself. Mm-hmm. And that is ex- the exact opposite of what this game did. And it's, so it's, it's crazy to hear that that was, I mean, obviously it's intentional, but even defiant, you know, in, in a request for more, uh, just makes me appreciate the game even more. And I, I do want to call out too, um, you're playing this game. This is like a recent play for you, right? You, you didn't play this, uh, yeah. Until recently. And I, I played it at launch in 2004 and whatever that was 8,000 years ago. Uh, I loved it. Like, and I thought it was perfect then. And I, I played it again, you know, picked it up recently on the switch and I just kept, you know, I thought it was just dripped in nostalgia, just saying, this is a perfect game. I remember this and this, and I love it. And, and you know, mm-hmm. and we'll get into the details of that. But uh, I think that something, there is something remarkable there that um, I can play it with my nostalgia filter and trying to be objective. And, and then you can play it as a complete, uh, you know, uh, noob to the Katamari world and come out with the same uh, perspective on it. So there's, yeah, perfect is not too strong a word for this game at all. Yeah, it yeah it is uh, interesting that I mean I just bought a a PS2 copy off of eBay for like ten dollars and played it on my PS3 and uh, you know that's probably far from the ideal representation of the game because I'm probably playing it on too high res of a screen for mm-hmm. its resolution and uh, it it still just shines and then I bought the uh, Switch remaster too. And played it there, and it's sharper, you know. But it didn't fundamentally change my experience. And it's a it's an utterly timeless game. And if you don't, if you've never played it, the game is just about rolling a, a huge ball around, and you use the two analog sticks to uh, roll a ball, and you pick up stuff with the ball, and then as you roll over more stuff, it all sticks to the ball, and so the ball gets bigger, and you keep rolling it, and you can then roll up more stuff because your ball is bigger. And it starts off, um, you know, you're rolling up like thumbtacks and you're like a few centimeters tall. And uh, you can just imagine exactly where that's going, right? It's like by the end of the game, you're rolling up like mountains and buildings and islands and clouds and stuff like that. Uh, So you just keep getting bigger. And it's such a beautifully simple concept that's all about physicality. Um, It's all about um, the sort of tactile experience of moving around in a game world. And uh, it's just so beautifully simple. And it, it really did shine for me, not even having any sort of nostalgia, uh, you know, pushing me to like it. So, yeah, it's just an awesome game. And I think I do want to talk more about Keita Takahashi because I think talking about him and his background and sort of the circumstances that the game 
was made under uh, help tell the story a little bit more about just what type of game it is. Um, and I think the narrative that of the game's development speaks to us as sort of this like quintessential story, right? That we all know of the creative genius who is working inside of some restraints that basically don't allow his genius to be recognized. And I tried to think of, I, everyone knows this story and, um, I was trying to think of some examples and the best one I could come up with was like Copernicus discovering that the earth revolves around the sun, but mainly keeping that to himself because he knew that it would be blasphemy Mm -hmm. and his genius wouldn't be recognized. That's probably being a little too kind to Keita Takahashi to compare him to Copernicus or like in fiction, like uh, Don Draper in the show, Mad Men, you know, sometimes he has ideas that his, uh, bosses considered too radical or something like that. Those aren't very good examples, but everyone knows this story and it does seem like the story is real. It's more or less like really happened with the, the creation of this game. Keita Takahashi was working at Namco, which is a company that was founded in the mid-1950s and they originally were founded to like operate coin-operated amusement rides yeah you know so they're a very old company rooted in um coming out of like you know post-war japan and uh so you can imagine the sort of hierarchy that would build up around that and so we have young keita takahashi he was a he was a graduate of art school and he was majoring in sculpture at art school but he became disillusioned with it because he didn't see the point in sculpting a replica of a flower when he thought it would be much nicer to look at a real flower. But he did feel that he wanted to do something that could provide joy to people, and he thought video games would be a way to do that because they're purely focused on play. And so he was hired at Namco, and he's working as an artist, and he had an idea for a game where you roll a ball around and pick stuff up, but there was no real pathway for him to prototype it because he's an artist and not a game designer, right? In that in that hierarchical structure, gotta keep and, that gate strong. That's right. Right? Yeah. And uh, the creative people are the creative people, and you stay right. out of their way. That's right. And so, and you know, I don't know. Like, I I want to believe in this story and I want to sort of fit it into that narrative of the creative genius. And I don't have enough details to know like exactly how true it is, but it does seem to be the case that he just pushed and pushed and believed in himself and believed in his idea. And he ended up getting into this program at Namco, which was for like training young game developers. And through that, he got the resources he needed to make a prototype of the game and apparently many of the objects of in the game were made by students at a CG design school. Like it wasn't professionals. It was just like people who were learning how to design 3d objects. And it was like, you know, make a house, make a thumbtack, make a paper clip, make a birthday present. Like all the stuff that you pick up in the game were made. Many of them appear to have been made by students. And so he's just sort of using like whatever resources are available to him 
because he just believed in his idea so much and just doing whatever he needed to do to get it done. And the game has this very sort of like it rough isn't the right word, but it's no, it's constrained. Yeah. 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 It's constrained and it has a very charming kind of like slapdash feel, but it all works in its favorite. You know, there are moments when you're playing the game and there's obvious clipping happening through um, like your character's ball is clipping through some of the textures and it, it it doesn't matter at all. It doesn't like affect your immersion in the game world at all because it just works with the aesthetic of the game. very cool story behind the game's creation and uh i think it speaks the story speaks volumes about what type of person keita takahashi is and uh how he believed in himself enough to push to get the game made yeah the game it seems like on on all fronts you kind of see uh like again these constraints that are being enforced in the real world uh limiting what the game can do mm-hmm. and in a way that that helped the game you know that pushed uh i don't want to say innovation but it pushed creativity mm-hmm. um yeah i just think it's it's really interesting um how how wedded the the game you experience and it sounds like the development experience for the game itself were uh mm-hmm. kind of playing off each other that's you know, even down to like you said, like the students making the art, and it's that allows the it's allows forgiveness in the art, which you know I didn't know as a player, right, as a uh, playing the game, but uh, the stylization is just so clean and simple, uh, mm-hmm. you know that it's approachable to you say like, oh, here we're going to give this to some art students, and you know the stuff that is yielded is still looks nice and it works with the game. It, you know, you don't see these objects as like, wow, it's what's this disjoint disjoint? Why are some of these you know, <laughs> like shit and why, like, you know, like yeah. it, it, it's just like on so many areas, the game with all of the constraints that were in place, the, the game succeeded, you know, in spite of it all, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I think that's a, like you said, without knowing all the details, I think that's still a huge testament to Takahashi's uh, genius there. And, yeah. And, and like will, I should, you know, I don't know if it's will or genius, but yeah. some combination of that. Yeah, sure. yeah. and um, there's there's an entry on this game in the Boss Fight Books series, which I'd be really interested to read. Um, and I wish I had more details on it. But there's some like the game was apparently made for like less than a million dollars. It's like eight hundred fifty thousand in U.S. dollars. And just as a point of comparison, Final Fantasy VII, uh, which came out uh, seven years before it, I think, was made for forty million dollars. And so it, and it's like, which one is the the better game? And I, that's kind of maybe a trite point to make. It's like, oh, big budget game sucks, while this small little yeah. like indie esque title does well. But it is like, 
you know, it, it's interesting to see the types of, uh, of of a game that is made under very intense constraints um, compared with the game uh, that the sky was basically the limit. And which one is like more fun to play? Now, I love Final Fantasy VII, and they're not remotely comparable games, but I'm just thinking it's kind of an interesting comparison and a, a testament to what can happen when a creative person is put under constraints and they have to make decisions that end up making the end product very um, creative. So I just love the story around the game. I just think it's so awesome and such a cool thing to happen in video games where um, we're sort of afflicted with sequelitis and we're so reliant on these established media properties. Yeah, and then it's interesting too because, uh, you know, you'd mentioned in our previous call how after all of this uh, th- this journey, this struggle and to get this game made, uh, Namco basically turns to Takahashi and is like, all right, let's have the sequels now, right? Like, <laughs> you, you should... Yes. <laughs> Thanks for uh, your richness and creativity. Please sit in this box and give us more of one thing right uh, yeah you're now the katamari guy yeah and he's like wait i have so many other cool ideas now let's do some of these and he apparently like on the he he went on the official website for katamari at one point and was like we will not be making any more <laughs> katamari games <laughs> and i'm sure i took that from um tim rogers review of this game for his website action net but i'm sure that that caused uh, as Tim oh, yeah. says, that caused somebody to shit their pants at Namco. <laughs> so funny. Uh, so just a cool guy. And it, it's when I think about the game, the thing that jumps out the most to, to me is just like how fun it is to move around in the world. And it's absolutely just a, a game about movement and the the feeling of just being this unwieldy thing in the world and trying to control this ball that is rolling around on a rampage and lifting up people and uh, trees and stuff like that. And that's really the whole game. And apparently, there's apparently a, a talk that Keita Takahashi gave at one point where he's showing a prototype and he just sort of muses to himself as he's watching the video of the prototype. He's like, wow, the game really hasn't changed at all hmm. since since then, huh? So it's it's a very um it's a very simple idea and it's just about movement. And I think it's an interesting kind of jumping off point for talking about difficulty in games, which is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And it is not a very hard game, right? I think uh, most people would agree with that. There's When I have played it recently, I think the first time I played it, there were a few levels that I had to do more than one time because yeah. I didn't pick up enough stuff. Um, but most players will probably complete most of the levels on the first try or on the second try. Um, but it's worth thinking about, I think in the context of Katamari, like what is the purpose of difficulty in games? Why, are, why do developers make games difficult and i think it's to make your decisions meaningful mm. right like you want to make the right decision you don't want the punishment that comes with failure but it's 
I just think it's so cool that in this game, um, every second feels meaningful, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're constantly plugged in and you're very motivated, and it's not hard at all. And it, it's that's sort of an interesting it experience, just because if we think about games that are fun but not hard, we might think of something like Stardew Valley. Something very slow paced, uh, but this is obviously not that at all. It's sort of a manic experience, and I just I'm trying to figure out why. You know, every second feels so meaningful. I it's like nothing compares to the feeling in this game of when you're. It's in an early one of the early levels, and you have a really tiny katamari. And it's so it's more nimble than you are when you get really huge and you're like mm-hmm. picking up buildings and you're trying to pick up like a little uh, push pin for a paper clip or something and you roll around it in a complete circle. <laughs> yeah, and you like almost. <laughs> yeah. And you almost get it, but you just miss it. And it, it just feels so meaningful and engaging. Another thing that I was thinking about is like I hate uh, memorizing levels in games. I I hate it as a game mechanic or a, a requirement on the player. At least I just think it's such an antiquated approach to game design, and there's still a lot of that in games today. In this game, you have to memorize levels, but it happens so naturally that you don't even realize it's happening. You know, yeah the the progression of how you grow and the way that it doesn't like very fluidly take you from one area to another. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you kind of yeah learning learning that pattern. It almost even helps when you're on a new level, knowing like all right, everything in this area, I'm gonna go for, mm-hmm. and I don't have to worry about anything else uh, until minutes later when you forget about that altogether and you're rolling into the next area and you know now you're the the smallest object in the this whole expanse uh mm-hmm. you started all over again like it's 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 got that pattern down very well yeah uh, and it, it you always right in front of you you always have a visible physical uh reflection of your purpose right mm-hmm. it's like right there like being pushed around and i think that's that builds into how you know this like why does every moment matter because at every moment you have a reminder like here's this thing you need to make it bigger right and yes you're just driving to that uh and then with that you know that's at a very uh a limited view but then as you get used to the game from the get-go you know oh I've got eight minutes to make a, whatever it is, six meter ball. Like that's plenty of time. Right. And then the next time you come to the level, you're like, I need to get fucking moving because mm-hmm. if, you know, if I'm going to get, so yeah, I, I think it is, it is interesting how frenetic it feels while also just being fun. It, it's not, it, 
it's a different kind of, it's a very enjoy, uh, uh, enjoyful, uh, a very, um, a stress with, with wonderment. It's, it's, it's a lot of mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's, it, so I think it's, that comes from it just being about one thing. It's like, let's make the feeling of moving in the world fun and everything sort of falls into place after that. And it's like you memorize the levels because you're like, oh, I got all the stuff in this area. Now I need to find, um, you know, bigger stuff to roll up. So I have to go to this other part of the level. And you play the level a couple times and you just start to work out your own path. It's like, I'm going to pick up all the stuff over here and I'm going to go over here. And then you memorize, you've memorized the level in the way that you actually need to, to complete the level, right? It's like some levels, some of the harder levels, it's like you do sort of need to be on your toes and be like, okay, I got to get this stuff here, then go over here and get this stuff, and then it'll be big enough to go over here. And you, but it happens so naturally. It's like if you have a place that you like to go in the real world and you you drive there because you want to go there and you're not thinking about, oh, I need to memorize like how to get there. You just keep going there because you like going there. And then before you know it, you've memorized how to get there. It works the same way in this game, right? It's It happens as, as a very natural thing. Um, so, yeah, it's like I'm never frustrated playing the game. There's no bullshit task to do that because he proactively ignored his boss's recommendation to add more features to the game. Um you always know what to do next. You're you're never stuck. Um, and it's just, I guess it comes down to like making the core experience very fun. And I am overly reliant, I think, on comparing stuff to Mario. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's something in how surely some of the earliest um, sort of uh, parts of designing the original Super Mario Brothers revolved around making it fun to move Mario around in the world and sort of trying to get a handle on, okay, how can we make it feel fun to jump on a moving platform and adding Mario's famous skid into that where he skids across the platform a little bit and you have to try to control that. And the the sort of very minute but very important uh changes in direction you can make to Mario's jump while he's still in the air. I have to believe that that came early on in the game design. Similarly to this game, I have to believe that it was a very early stage of the design where they worked out like, okay, you're going to roll the ball around and feel like this. And the end result is that the whole game ends up being built around that really basic fun thing. And the whole game is fun. And that's just how it happens. I think. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. It's just when the core of your game is movement, uh, you need to focus on that, and they did, and it it, it shows, and it, it just it just feels so tight, and uh, yeah, I I uh, I don't know. I, I guess I don't really have more to add to that. It's uh, it's solid. Yeah, it it, it makes me almost. It's almost like a racing game where it's all about movement and the fun is in the movement, but it's transplanted into this sort of like action exploration game format, something like that. I don't know, but it's a very, 
No, yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, it's it's. it's I think that's actually a great analogy because you know, some of the best racing games, it's it's all about how how well you can translate the sensitivity of your input to an output in a way that's mm-hmm. not finicky or you know overreactive or under like you, you need you need everything to move in a way that feels like it actually would in the real world and i've never rolled a katamari around but i feel like this is what it would feel like you know if i need like yes. this, these are the controls that i would need uh to do it well and and since that's what this world is built on uh that's what they focused on and it and it paid you know dividends with with the interactions yes i think um yeah i i want to well so tell me more about that because i don't play that many racing games but now that you describe it like that it, i i want to play more it's because i notice when i'm playing katamari i i have completely lost the feeling of thinking about the controls at all mm-hmm. you know and it, it even though it's an extremely unconventional control scheme for a video game you know just moving with two analog sticks and you don't you can use one other button to like jump up and look around the level which i never use never use it nope <laughs> right so it's really just the two sticks and um it it totally feels like its own thing right it feels like you're controlling the katamari and the way you're sort of jerking the sticks around in different directions to do these like hairpin turns and stuff and you always feel like slightly out of control the controls are utterly perfect um in terms of making it feel like you're moving this huge unwieldy bouncing thing around the world yeah and and i think part of that is the way that they translate the physics of what's happening right because like you said you go from being able to turn on a dime to your own disadvantage, right? Where you can spin around the object you're trying to get on, <laughs> uh, to then having this thing that's the size of a city that you you know you need to make a left turn soon, but you also know like I started too late and it's just gonna be this wild, you know, uh, yes. really open turn now. Um, you can feel it getting away from you, which yeah. is which is amazing. There's no force feedback. I mean, you have rumble, but there's no force feedback on the thumbsticks. It's not like you have some sort of extra sensory feedback going on and it feels like this thing is getting away from you if mm-hmm. you you know so yeah really interesting um i mean like i i don't know i i, I can't get off of that point of the the core of the game is moving a ball and they clearly that was the focus like that was it right and mm-hmm. uh yeah it it is um there are many moments in the game that are like singular moments within the game where you're you do something and it's like oh man that felt so good one is um for me is it can you hear me yeah you went i got some echo there okay my cat is up here and like <laughs> fucking with my <laughs> stuff um the the one of the one of those for me is like when you roll up uh you can finally roll up trees mm. and you <laughs> yes. just roll up like okay. 20 trees in one go you know and it's like what 
and pops, you know, and they all get on the ball, and you're just instantly so much bigger. It feels so good. There's a feeling, yes, that's a good point, is there is a feeling to picking stuff up that you couldn't before. Um, I I have the same thing with, like, fences. When I roll up fences, you get, fences. like, a whole line of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but there's, there's a... I, I should pay more attention to it. I don't know if it's the sound that it makes when you do it or if maybe it's the sequential, you know, when you're getting... Man, when you roll over, a, a like, a mini forest, though, like, you're totally right. Like, a group of trees, like, that's, like, one of the most satisfying things in the game, which is crazy to say, like, I, the sentence that I'm saying out loud, I'm like, I sound like a fucking dumbass. But, like, it's that is, true. Yeah. It's true. Like, you hit those objects or those collections, and it's uh, incredibly gratifying. Yeah. 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 The yeah, the trees are one of those for sure. Um like being able to go back and roll up something that really fucked with you before oh, totally. like 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 a bulldog, you know, when the bulldog used to yep. chase you when you had a small catamari, but now that you're big you can go back and just roll it up onto your ball. Or like one of those like a fast car that like smashes the shit out of your ball and sends you flying. Yeah, you do you know the, the one city later and you just demolish it and it screams which just adds to the joy like yeah fuck you (laughs) and uh the the one that always gets me i can't remember which level it's on but it's it's like the duck mobile do you know what i'm talking about that's that's exactly what i'm talking about that's the the one yeah yep that's it's like a duck mobile that has like a (laughs) fire coming out the back because it's going so fast and you just feel so good to go back and roll that up yeah um and you said fences, like I always go for fences. And as soon as I can roll up fences, I'm like, oh yeah. Even though it makes the katamari so oblong. It's the non optimal so thing to do for sure, but I go for it every time. Me too. Yep. yep. And I think it's that that consecutive uh, collection element. You know, there's something about that. Yeah. The yeah, because they're right next to each other, right? So you can get so many in one go. And uh sunflowers too. Have like oh, a yeah. fence, fence type effect of making like you a garden uh, with carrots in it. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love that. I I also love the 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 level where you have to get all the crowns, and you roll over a garden, thinking that you're gonna pick up uh, like potatoes or something, and it's actually like crowns buried yeah. under the soil, and then there's also someone wearing a crown buried under the soil and so you roll over it and you pick up an entire person nice. who was <laughs> under the soil and of course they scream right when you do the that it's great yeah uh yeah the, there's a quirk to the game that yeah. expresses itself in all facets of the game it's mm-hmm. not just the scream or like a person buried in the garden you know what i mean that that's, a, that's actually a good uh example of how weird the game is where it's like yeah i'm picking up crowns and one came out of the garden and one of the ones that came out of the garden had a person attached to it and it's like yep, <laughs> this, is, this is what this game offers um yeah. you know the the music is off the wall and and phenomenal oh um, the music's so good yeah like, yeah just like the character this the character designs are weird and mm-hmm. and adorable right it's like tapping into the baby Yoda before there was even that existing in the world, right? Mm. There's this little adorable green thing, and uh, even the, the the king, 
I love the king. Who's a giant douche is mm-hmm. like fantastic. Like, yeah. Yes. I, I want to like, what are you going to say next? There, um, there's many, many aspects of the quirk that I feel like we need to talk about. On our pre-call, you said something where it's like, you know, they. it feels like there was a moment when they were developing the game where they, it's like they were all sitting in the middle of, sitting in a room and there's like an object in the middle of a room that's weird, you know? And they all just agreed on what that weird thing should be and they all got it, right? Right. Such yeah, that yeah, the the music person went off and said, like, I understand how to make a weird thing, a, a weird music based off of this object that represents the object. And the, mm-hmm. the writer and the designer, and they all brought back their craft's uh, interpretation of that weird thing. And when they put it together, we got this game and it, it you know, the, the integration was seamless. You know, there's. Yeah. A, uh, it, yeah. It, it is its own completely its own aesthetic and I, I think that's very important to point out because it's a japanese game but it is very much not weird japan you know <laughs> yeah. like the the sort of stereotype weird japan like there are no phalluses in the game that i was able to find it's not kawaii uh which is the sort of japanese like ultra cute aesthetic uh, it's just its own thing, and it comes out in, like you said, the character designs. The char- I, There is a nice bulge in the game. The King of All Cosmos has a nice bulge. Oh, yeah. He can't help that, though. Right. It, yeah, it's not he like... He was born uh, that way. Yeah, yeah, he was born that way. And it's not <laughs> like... It's it's because he's sort of an homage to, like, um, a Freddie Mercury or something like that. Totally. I think. Totally. And, uh, yeah, the... The the quirkiness and the weirdness comes out in the music too. It's like there it's so many different genres of music. And I'm gonna edit some of the different songs into the, the final nice. recording. Um just so people can hear if you haven't played the game. But there there is like a mambo type song. There's a kind of like electro pop type song that's called lonely rolling star it's my favorite song in the game and there are a number i know that you uh liked a lot too uh and they're all just from there's like a lounge singer type song (laughs) you know and it all just works for the game and the music director is this guy named yu miyake and he's an in-house composer at namco and he said that keita takehashi gave him just complete freedom to make the music however he wanted which is very important i think firstly because he said a normal director would never let him do that right but it also speaks to what you were saying about it's like they all got the aesthetic you know they all had a great understanding of what would make sense 
for the game and what it should be. And so it, it all just feels like of a piece. Yeah, and the only way that could happen, right, is when you allow someone in their area of expertise to really let their interpretation shine. And, and when you start trying to shoehorn it to something else or, or edit someone's creativity, then you kind of impinge on that. And that makes sense than what, you know, uh, uh, the director of, or the music, uh, the composer is saying is their free reign was not impinged on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, again, it's 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 just so very clear that this team was able to do their thing individually and then bring it together. Uh, and that's why it, and that's why it came together so well. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't competition, right? It was. Uh, I think it's probably it's probably a testament to his direction. Mm-hmm. He he did say that um, once he had a prototype, there was like an internal meeting at Namco where he showed it to lots of different people and said and and then I guess he had the opportunity to sort of choose who was going to work on the final game and he said he just picked the people he thought were the coolest <laughs> to work on it <laughs> which is so funny yeah, yeah the the I think he probably wrote most of the dialogue but we should talk about the writing in the game which is just outstanding at least um in the English translation it is Almost all of the the dialogue comes from the king of all cosmos, who's your dad. And your dad in the game has uh, accidentally knocked all the stars out of the sky. And he's like, whoops, I didn't mean to do it, but I kind of wanted to do it. It was just very fun to do. But anyway, now we need to put all the stars back. And that's why you're rolling around a ball in the game is to pick up stuff from Earth, which you bring to him, and then he puts it into the sky as a star to replace the ones that he knocked down. And he's such a such an awesome character because he, I mean, he speaks your language, whatever language it is you're playing the game in. But, and it's like he understands all of the, for us in English, he understands all of the, rules of english he knows all the words and he knows how to put them together but he's just maybe because he's a celestial being he's just coming at it from a different perspective Mm -hmm. and so he just says all this stuff that's like very slightly off you know or completely ignores any sort of social decorum like there's one of my favorite quotes is after you complete a level he's like oh looks like you're done it was boring to watch this whole time. That's right. my, one of my favorite quotes from the game where he just says that to you. And he says a lot of funny stuff, like if you fail the level. Um, I guess I don't want to spoil it if anyone listening wants to play the game and hasn't yet, but some of my favorite um, dialogue comes out of him berating you yeah, uh, for failing and calling you, throwing insults at you like loser prince. Yeah. Inch, inchling prince it's just so awesome yeah and the way again that the way the writing comes across i think goes back to your point about the um you know being a game from japan without without going into the extremes or or, or needing to go to the extremes of like uh any of those 
uh, you know, the, not the memes, but just those known archetypes of how characters behave. Uh, it it doesn't go into any of any of those tropes. It's all its own thing, while still being a different flavor of of weird. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm struggling to really kind of nail that down, but there's there is something about it, and it really does come through in the in the writing and the in the way the type of dialogue um, that they use at you where it's both yeah berating um but then also it's like this guy does care for you you know you're his son right um but it's also clear you're servile like (laughs) you need to do yeah you need you need to clean this mess up like it's a it's a really interesting yeah it's like he never acknowledges for a moment uh his role in the big problem that right. you and him are both trying to solve right now, which is to get all the stars back into the sky. There's the totally weird, like s- sort of second layer of narrative where it's like a family. Oh, that's uh, right. <laughs> and it just like, it's, it, it's very funny and it has like no connection with the, the gameplay whatsoever. Other than it is trying to say something, I think funny about, children and children kind of being perceptive maybe because they're not as as worried as adults about keeping up appearances or um you know doing stuff like being where they're supposed to be on time you know and so maybe adults notice different stuff and it comes out through it you know it's like there's one scene where it shows this child like he sees the Katamari out of, I think it, he's, no, he's flying on an airplane and he sees the king of all cosmos just flying through the sky. And his eyes like freak out and he's like, mom, look, look, look. And she looks and by that time the, the thing is already gone. She goes back to like reading a newspaper or something and he's like, I just saw this enormous guy. And his mom's like, that's nice, dear. Right. You know, and so they're like many, there are many uh, scenes of that sort of second layer of the narrative that are sort of about that. It's like the child is perceptive and more in tune with what's going on. And the parents like, "Mm -hmm, yeah, that's, that's interesting, honey. Okay. Yeah. Their world is being rolled up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's interesting in that it, it kind of has something to say and it, it's interesting coming from Keita Takahashi, who has said that he would love to design playground equipment mm. one day. And he said that um, something like adults, you know, adults should play video games maybe because it's not socially acceptable for adults to play outside in the same way that children play outside. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and but we need to play and do things that make us happy. And it's kind of naive and uh, twee a little bit of a sentiment maybe, but it just works for me with who Keita Takahashi is. And so I just really like him. And uh, I love the quirk that comes out in basically all facets of the game.
Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, who is the game for, right? And I think on the one hand, like, in accordance with what he says his mission kind of is in making games, it's really for everyone. Yeah. And it it makes me think of this, uh, like, what we got our kids for Christmas. One of the things was a marble run. Mm-hmm. And the marble run very proudly states on the box that it's for ages four to 99 mm-hmm. and it's it's just it's magnetic you know it's like when the marble run when we've built one and it's the kids are playing with it we're all just sort of glued to it in a way it's like impossible to ignore the marbles just bouncing from side to side and going down these tubes and tunnels and stuff like that and uh it's this game is is sort of like that it's for anyone, for most people at least, if Katamari Damacy is on in a room, they're going to find it really hard not to pay attention to it. Because it's just so interesting. Like, the way it looks. Yeah, and, I mean, and, and the, like, yeah, the way it looks and the sounds and, mm-hmm. and again, the, the movement, like, which I guess is the way it looks, right? It was like, what am I seeing? You know, it was your yeah. first kind of reaction. Yeah, it's it's very yeah. magnetic in that way. And and so, you know, it's like I just think about games and everyone you know, ever since Roger Ebert kicked the hornet's nest by saying games aren't art, everyone I feel like games have been in this mode of just frothing to be taken seriously as a form of mass market entertainment. But the one the games that we push forward as being the best representatives of the medium are nearly all about killing people in some yeah. way, shape, or form. And then I think like who among us doesn't have some memory of watching an adult in our lives play Sonic the Hedgehog or Super Mario Brothers at some mm-hmm. point? Right, or Pac-Man at some point in the the nineties or late eighties. And uh I feel like a game like Katamari is much more lends itself to that. Yeah, I think that's a good comparison too, because I was thinking before Katamari is very much a game that could go to the arcade, right? And there, mm-hmm. I think there's something to that. Like, arc, when you're in an arcade, you see people of all ages there, and it's not mm-hmm. it's not just kids. It's not just you know parents there because of their kids. People of all ages are on these machines. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that Katamari lends itself to is that it would be a perfect arcade cabinet. It's loud and flashy and weird and interesting. And then even, you know, an arcade cabinet would have that extra level of physical interaction that would feel really good. And it would give back to that, uh, in that feeling. So, um, maybe that's part of why it does extend to everyone is it, it, it it's accessible it's accessible in control, but then it's also accessible in in output of you know what am I looking at, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's unfamiliar, and I think that's a big part of it too. Is when you're unfamiliar, you you're gonna attract you know at least at a glance more people. Like it's not like this game wasn't you know a twenty million seller, um, but I think that has you know that's that's more on like marketing and and people's. Uh, uh, experiment, you know, willingness to experiment with something and all that, but uh, I, I think there's something to it where it's yeah, there's a there's a magnetism like you're saying where it doesn't matter what experiences you've had or 
uh, you know, how long you've been playing games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think about how at uh, like family gatherings um, for a while, but when we could all still get together, like we still play Wii bowling. Hmm. And even my grandma, RIP, used to get up and play uh, like a few rounds of Wii yeah. bowling. And, uh, you know, my grandma probably wouldn't have played Katamari, but she probably would have at least watched <laughs> watched it because yeah. it's like impossible not to to look at it. And uh, it's just this magnetic experience. And it like for my family, once I started playing it, it, it like took over our family for several weeks where um, we were playing it every night and we were listening to the music when we weren't mm-hmm. playing it. Like we put on music in the house for the kids to just like run around and dance to. And uh, we'd put on the music and they love doing that. Um, yeah. And the other thing is it's unlike a lot of the games that we were saying that are put forward as like, this is the best example of storytelling or whatever in our media, which might be something like the last of us, you know, uh, that game in many ways, I think, takes a lot of cues from film and it tries to borrow a lot of um it's what it tries to do to to pull you in is maybe adapted from film and that katamari damacy is purely a video game and it never tries to borrow a single thing from any other medium you know yeah yeah it leans fully on everything that games can offer uh in in every aspect um and nails it, yeah, in every aspect. And let me just close this section with a, a quote from my friend's wife, who um, I bought him this game for Christmas. I just sent it to him. And his wife got really into it. And she just texted me and said, this is a hard game, but it gives you just enough success to keep you in it. And yeah. I just thought that was so, because she doesn't, really play games you know mm-hmm. that much and she was able to pick it up and have a great time with it um and that she would recognize that it has a well-crafted difficulty curve mm-hmm. uh was just so interesting to me and really speaks to um what a what a sort of all ages all types of people experience it is yeah that's cool yeah um and i think we were also talking about like we were talking about who is this game for i think for one it's um for people of all ages like we were saying but i think it's also for people who if if you are a person who likes to think of yourself as someone who doesn't give a fuck about what other people think about them or if you don't want to give a fuck about what other people think about you this is a game for you we were talking about uh, in our pre-call, how it's funny how the game opens with the sound of an idiot, a moron, <laughs> humming the game's theme song. And uh, first of all, that is really Yu Miyake, the music director in the game, humming. And he put it in as a, like in a test version of the game, um, as a joke. Programmer art equivalent of a music uh, like a placeholder. Yes, 
Fantastic. That makes me uh, that makes me love it even more. Isn't that so awesome? And they just kept it in. And and then we were talking about how you and I, that's something we do. We're just like humming to ourselves yeah. at home, like doing drum sounds and stuff when we're humming. And he's like, you know, like the drum sounds. And we're doing stuff like this and our wives come up to us and they're like, are you trying to get my attention? Like, are you just doing that for yourself? Right. This is all for me, baby. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm doing it for myself. Oh, so, sorry, I didn't, I didn't notice you there. Yeah. <laughs> Am I doing it again? This is yeah. all me. Yeah. So if if you're a person who likes to do that and thinks it's cool to do that, like Brandon and I do, that's what this game is. It's just someone doing something for themselves and not caring about what anyone else thinks. That's a, I, like, I like that angle on it because if I think about all of the creative geniuses in their, in their areas working on this, you know, is I'm going to make the music. Sure, I have the inspiration, but like I'm going to go make this music. And, and that's the music that I, I want for this, right? And I'm going to, here's what it's going to look like. And uh, yeah, just, just across the board, it's, it's people doing their thing. Um, in the way, like you said, that I would, where it's like, I'm just going to mouth this song, and now that's in the final cut of the game mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as an actual song. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there's the authenticity, I think, is what is so gripping, and, and the relatability of that authenticity of, uh, there's, there's no pretense here. You know, I'm, I'm making sounds with my mouth. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm just a goofball. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 the opener for the game is mm-hmm. I'm just a goofball, right? It's just like I'm I'm just here to hang out. Mm-hmm. Um very unassuming and just very uh, welcoming. Yeah. Yeah, if you're a moron or an idiot like Brandon <laughs> like us. and I then <laughs> you're this gonna is love the this game, game for you. You're gonna <laughs> love this game. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's just uh it's just so cool. And uh it's it's almost like a a proto indie game in a sense. I feel like just because it is, I think I said that about another game that we covered or something, but it is like it, you know, because it is clearly subservient to the um, kind of whims of just a few key creative members, which is what you get from indie games and why so many people like myself like them because you are closer to the creative vision of someone who has a definite idea of what they want to make. Mm-hmm. And and it's definitely not the case when you're playing a, a AAA game, which goes through many, many rounds of people um, checking it and, you know, focus groups and stuff like that. And, you know, it's like, like we were saying in the beginning, it's like, too many pieces to make them all fit together well or make them all work well. Um, and, and typically in indie development, there aren't the resources to make so many little pieces. And so what ends up happening is it's like, let's try to do one or two things well. And uh, those are more pure experiences, right? Like that was one of our knocks on Hades is that it sort of dilutes its own experience by adding a bunch of stuff on around the edges that don't really add much to the game, but sort of reduce the um, 
how much it's honed uh, to deliver just one thing very well. And uh, so this is a game that was doing that in like 2004 within the confines of what must have been a pretty hierarchical organization. Um, and Namco. And so it's it's remarkable in a lot of ways for many of the reasons we talked about the story behind the game um, and uh, just the fact that it exists. I mean, who, who saw a less than a uh, million dollar budget game coming out of Namco at the time that they were making, you know, ten million dollar or more Ridge Racer games and Soul Calibur and uh, other games like that. It's just uh, kind of a miracle to me, and uh, it's great. Yeah, I can't. I can't add. I can't. Uh, I can't. It's great. It's one of the best games of all time it's one of the best games of all time uh it is better than ocarina of time (laughs) it is it is better than zelda hyrule warriors age of calamity (sighs) it's better than hades i don't know if it's better than doki doki literature club but it's better than doki doki (laughs) (laughs) it's it's probably better than Doki Doki Literature Club, but it's I know, hard I know to Doki say Doki that. A, Doki Doki is a big one for you, so I just that was more of a troll than anything. Uh, but I'm willing to accept it. If I am the type of person, if I'm living my best life and being my best self, it's better than Doki Doki Literature Club. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So I think that wraps it up. For sure. Um, so if you haven't played this game, you must play the game. Uh, it is available for every console imaginable. Um, you can buy a cheap copy on eBay if you only have a PS2 or a PS3. It's been remastered for PS4, Switch, I think Xbox. Uh, it's, I'm sure it's on PC. Uh, please play the game. Uh, short game. Uh, won't take up too much of your time. Very fun game. And uh, if you want to email our podcast and tell us about how wrong we are, you can email us at bestgamespod at gmail.com. And really lean into it, too. Yeah. Really send us death threats because oh. we said Ocarina of Time wasn't good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. We'll get them for that. Yeah. Yeah. Send us the death threats, and you can also check out our website which is at bestgamesofalltimepodcast.com thanks for listening see ya how do i cancel the stop recording okay where's the stop button at